Hey guys, this episode is part of a mini-series about sex, sexual health, and sexual taboos. It's three conversations with three women and their perspectives. This conversation is the second one, with a friend of mine from university. Listen to find out about whose responsibility it is to go get checked for sexually transmitted infections or STIs, taboo about sexual activity for females and males, and presenting oneself on dating apps for the purpose of having or avoiding casual sex. If you want to check out the last episode about how painful it is to shove an IUD up your vagina, put that on your to-do list. For now, listen to this one. I really enjoyed this conversation. I hope you do too. So when I asked you, or rather when I put out that open call to women who've had the HPV vaccine, right? Like you messaged me and I was kind of surprised. So like, what was it that drove you to like want to talk about your experience? First of all, getting the HPV vaccine, which I thought was a very like, it was just a preventative situation, you know, like, mm. like with the current COVID vaccine now, I know there's pros and cons. And there are pros and cons to getting the HPV vaccine either. It's not as if it's perfect. And it's not as if like you are completely prevented from all kinds of HPV. I just thought it was worth getting. Yep. And I actually mentioned it to my mom because you know, like the advisory is that you get it after you're sexually active, right? Before you're sexually active, before, sorry. Before, you're supposed yeah. to get the HPV vaccine before you're sexually active. Yes. And I think I mentioned that I needed to get it. And then she said, Oh, but you only need to get that before you get married. And I was mm. like, oh, okay. Mm. So okay. there is like an inherent link between like marriage and sexual activity to my mom. And so she was like, it's okay that you don't need to get it because you're not married yet. And I was like, I'm just going to get it, you know? So mm. there wasn't any like, there wasn't any pushback from them because it was more of like, just get it done preventatively. And I got it a lot later than my older sister did. She also got it done preventatively. Okay. How old was she when she got it and how old were you when you got it? I procrastinated very badly though. I think she was early 20s and I was maybe mid-20s. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Taking good care to not reveal your age here, but... Hmm. No, but I, I really don't remember. I can't okay. remember how old I was and I can't remember how old she was, but I know she got it a lot earlier. But you had been working by then, Not right? working. Did you yes, pay I with your working. own salary? No, I use MediSafe, baby. Oh yeah, you can use MediSafe. Mm-hmm. That's right. Men it's can't get MediSafe uh, for HPV vaccine. Well, yeah. Don't you don't have a cervix? I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> so the HPV vaccine also stops transmission of the HPV from like men to women or from women to men. Uh, so that is technically preventative. But I don't know if this has to do with putting the burden or the onus onto the woman. Like to, uh, I mean, it's obviously your own body, but. It feels like it's definitely the woman's responsibility to take take care of um, the vaginal health. I I think that there's some sort of a very similar attitude when it comes to pregnancy. Also, the woman always has to end up kind of shouldering the burden, even though the men mm-hmm. have caused the problem. Actually, I feel kind of that way about a good number of the STIs. Mm. I think women are prone to a little bit more and 
if you do get STIs, you present more symptoms and you can pass them on to your children and it can affect your fertility. And oh, none yes. of these symptoms happen to men. So a little bit unfair considering it's supposed to be equal sharing. And not to say anything about promiscuity, I, I live, live in, live in f- whoever you want. I'm just very much on the stay safe and keep safe. Mm. So same goes with pregnancy, I think, because I actually had a friend who had a pregnancy scare. Yep. And I thought she was f***ing stupid. And here's the reason why. She's not local. Oh, okay. Exactly. So she's not local. She moved here shortly before the corona's pandemonium hit, right? Mm-hmm. And she met a guy and she was living with him. Um, she's not earning a lot. She's working mm. as a researcher or something. He's mm. not earning jack shit. I actually genuinely don't know what he's doing, but he's not doing much, right? Mm. And she always struck me as a bit naive. So when she started dating him, I, I just told her, I said, take the precautions you need to take because you're not local here. You're not going to be protected by the same conventions that I will be. Like, okay, I'm a Singaporean citizen. I'm a bit, I have certain facilities available to me, right? Mm. I know where to go. You're in a foreign country. You don't know where you are. Like, you don't know what resources you need to go to. So but it's just best that you, you know, prevention is a cure. Mm. Like that, I'm telling you this story means that that didn't happen. So she called me one random day. I was in the middle of work. Woke up home at the time, panicking because the condom broke. No, no, the condom didn't break. Sorry, no, that would imply they used condoms. No, he didn't pull out in time. Oh. Yeah, and so I was very frustrated that this was a completely avoidable situation. Yep. And she was so helpless when it happened. She didn't know what to do, didn't know where to go, didn't know what to search. So she was like full on panicking. I did all the research for her. I told her which clinic was closest to her at the very moment. Go get plan B, yeah. plan B, take the two doses, make him pay for it, right? Yeah. Since your two dumb messes didn't figure out how to use any protection at all. Mm. And then two weeks later when she got her period, um, I gave her a good scolding. <laughs> I, yeah. I gave her a good, mm. a really good scolding. I said, it's not that I want to lecture you. Mm. How did you feel? How, how do you feel now? At that moment, you weren't sure if he was going to stay with you. At that moment, you didn't know you cared if you could afford the baby. You had family back home who who would react very strongly to you being pregnant out of wedlock to a random guy who's got no future. Mm. How did that make you feel? Are you ready to be a mother? If you're not ready to be a mother, then why didn't you take the precautions? Like I told you to. Had to slip that in there. Like I told you to. And she conquered. You know what I mean? It's like a very much like hindsight is 2020 situation. I warned her ahead of time. Mm-hmm. She didn't listen. And in the moment, all she could do was panic. I think like many people would have some sort of similar scare when they're much younger. Or if like, yeah. the, you know, the first time like they are, they're getting sexually active and things like that, right? But the resources are really all there already. And yeah, the internet is there. You know, at the start, there might be some sort of inhibition to actually purchasing the contraception options. Birth control? Right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, whether it's birth control or condoms or whatever, because it's not something you've bought before, right? So in your head, yeah. it's like, why am I incurring this expense? It doesn't make sense. But I really, really like what you said about like making the guy pay for the plan B. Yeah. Yeah, because again, whether one party or both parties like want to not use condoms, right? The guy can also can say no, right? It's like, I don't... Yeah. I don't want to get you pregnant slash uh, catch STI from you, right? Yeah. And I think some guys understand this. So I recently went to this specialized clinic for mm-hmm. sexually sexually transmitted infections. Okay, interesting. Okay. 
I was just talking to someone and she asked me, have you ever been tested for STIs? And I said, no, like, why would okay. I need to? And the mm-hmm. moment those words left my mouth, right, I immediately understood like, oh, yeah. So what if I've been completely like monogamous through my entire life, right? It doesn't mean that I don't yeah. have anything. And I realized I, I'd True. never been checked before. And also I was a bit curious about the HPV vaccine. So I decided to go to that clinic mm-hmm. and um, talk, actually talk to a doctor. Find yeah, more. find out more, right? Mm-hmm. And to my surprise, I think there were about maybe uh, 30 people in the clinic at the, the time when I visited. About And I think probably only four were women and the rest were men. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, now that's interesting. Yeah, so I don't know what they were there for. It's not apparent. I couldn't identify like any specific demographic. I think most of them were maybe uh, in their 20s or something, but mm-hmm. I assume all of them would at least have to do a check there, right? So, I mean, kudos to them, these men who want to get themselves checked, I guess. See, I'm of the same view as you because for a long time, I had absolutely no reason to get checked because I was sexually active. Mm-hmm. And even now that I am sexually active, I'm only active with one person. Mm. So, and he is not sexually active with anyone but me. Yep. So, the transmission is basically like a closed loop. But if you don't engage in that monogamy and you are not, in fact, in a closed loop, then that question would be immediately a lot more pertinent to yep. you. It's like, what is the actual risk factor, right? Yeah. I was talking to an- another girl before you and she was also sharing her point of view. And she said something that along the lines of... Anything can happen. Like your partner could cheat on you. You could end up cheating on your partner. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't really register that you've kind of breached that closed loop as you've described. Yeah. And especially what we are learning with viral transmissions now in the, this pandemic, right? Like it just takes like... A, I was literally going to say it's very analogous to COVID right mm, now. I mean, literally viruses and infections, right? So yeah, these things can like erupt. Yeah, these <laughs> things can spread really quickly, you know? Yeah. Okay, we just can talk about like Ong Ya Kyung. Is it Ong Ya Kyung in the news? And he's like, you know, you've got five friends and they go out and meet five friends and then they go and meet five friends and some it's 125 people. Oh, and you just assume that like instead of like regular inter, I'm not saying orgy, but maybe like one-on-one and then you spread it one-on-one to five different mm-hmm. people. Then yes, the chain of transmission could definitely be a lot faster than you expect, especially since like, let's say for COVID, you're infectious for a certain number of days until you get treated, yep. right? And now we're actively testing for COVID, but if you don't actively test for STIs, or if you're like, unfortunately, a lot of young people who don't know or don't care, then your chain of transmission could be going on for months. Yeah, and the thing is, a lot of the sexually transmitted infections, they also take some time before the symptoms present themselves, right? Yeah. yeah. So it could be hidden, and then it could eventually it might come out as like a before sore. it gets visibly, yeah, like a sore. Before you're like, mm. speaking about sores, the nurse that interviewed me and gave me like the questionnaire, mm-hmm. right? He was asking if I was concerned about herpes, uh, cold sores, and I, I said, uh, yes, kind of a bit. Then he was like, forget about it. You know, in Singapore and Malaysia, thirty to forty percent of the people already have the virus. It's like they just gave up. <laughs> they just. <laughs> Because it's so easily transmittable, like the herpes virus. Yeah, uh, it's very easily yeah. transmittable. Like, um, my mother has mm. it. I'm not sure where she got it from, but she's always yep. had it. And because, you know, when you're among family, you don't tend to like be very particular about like not sharing cups or anything. Mm-hmm. I think she had an open saw and didn't know, or my brother didn't know. And so my brother at some point got mm-hmm. it. So after he got the coastal virus, the rest of us have become much more 
vigilant in terms of making sure we're not like sharing cups when she has an open like an active sort. Oh, okay. So I was going to ask you how family dinners work in that case because like does it just spread through like saliva or? Yeah, it does spread through saliva. And you know your lips like you might have microcuts or you might have any kind of breach in the skin that you don't really know oh. about. I mean, skin tends to be that yep. way. So like, but like, so let's say family dinners. That's why you have gong quite right, like communal chopsticks, yeah. and you just make sure not to share drinks. Or, okay, okay. Or you eat individual packets and individual utensils. Yeah, that sounds like a, it, it's workable. It's just that like I never imagined that. Um, okay, I mean it, it is possible to imagine such a scenario in families around where one person has it and uh, maybe the rest don't, and you just don't want to catch yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. So. Talking about the questionnaire that I had to answer, I'm not sure mm-hmm. if you've been to the same clinic that I went to. I've never been, I don't think. Okay, right. So they have an initial interview with this uh, nurse. Like, I think just to save the doctor's time. And it's this mm-hmm. rather burly, like, 40-year-old dude. And he just tells me very casually, Hey, bro, I'm just going to ask you some questions. Huh? We need this information so that we can maybe diagnose you properly later. Okay? Okay. Okay. Yeah. And so he's very friendly to me through the entire thing. So he starts with like, oh, so bro, when was the last time you had sex? Uh, then I, I told him, I was like, uh, something like a year plus ago. Oh, okay. Was it with a man or with a woman? Bro. <laughs> okay. Yeah, so I mean... Like the bro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he added a bro at the end. But it's... Like to me, it was such a... Wow, so progressive kind of question, right? But I realized it's like, you know, in this line of work, it's, it's a very, very normal question to ask. Yeah. It is very relevant, I think, especially because... um. MSM or men who have sex with men, yeah. the transmission rates are a lot higher for any kind of sex, actually. For any kind of like the disease is what I mean. It's because of the, the modicum in which they pursue penetrative sex mm. opens more micro tears in the skin, which allows for higher rates of transmission. Yeah. Um, uh, <laughs> I've had a prostate exam before and I have no okay. idea how gay men ever have sex because the, <laughs> the prostate exam was the most one of the most painful things I ever had to do in my life. I was like winded and I actually had to like cough for a while and lie on my side for oh, about oh, like wow. a good 20-30 seconds just to catch my breath. Yeah. So, um, yeah, very interesting. They, they, they prepare a lot. Let's put it that way. I have a lot of gay friends. Yeah, they need to get in a zone, right? Yeah. Or like in the US, something called poppers. Hmm. No, you prepare, so you how you would stretch your lobes progressively using bigger stretches. Oh, okay, okay. I mean, the sphincter is a muscle, so it will shrink back, but it can stretch within a short period of time. Mm. So you prepare, and poppers is something that is used in the US, but not here. It's basically a muscle relaxant that you inhale. Oh, okay. Definitely yeah. controlled substance. Definitely, definitely not very, uh, very, not very PAP approved. Let's put it that way. It's not approved, yeah. um, but it is something that the gay community partakes in in the US specifically for that reason. Actually, yeah, they actually told me that one of the groups that they target with the HPV vaccine is mm-hmm. gay men. Yeah, because of the increased risk. Uh. so they target usually like young men and uh, men who have sex with men. And I didn't fall into any of those categories. So I look mm-hmm. at the doctor. Doctor looked at me, and we were like, "You're good. You're good. You're fine." But back to the interview with the, the nurse, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was kind of taken aback by like the specificity of the questions. He would ask like, okay, when you had sex with the person during that time, 
was there oral sex involved? Then yes or no? Then I was like, then I was like, okay, yes. Then it's like, was a condom used during the oral sex? Then after that, I was like, wait, 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 people use condoms during oral sex? And then <laughs> it just made me realize uh, that, you know, people have sex in, you know, many different ways. Yeah, and some people are kind of like more paranoid and they even do it like with a condom or they just don't want to have their mouth on like a man's appendage, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I never really like appreciated that, you know, like people just have their own preferences. Like, I, I always thought like the way I do it is like the way everyone does it. Yeah, I think a lot of people are probably familiar that you're supposed to use protection during sex, mm. but they don't think about that that extends to oral sex. And I mm. think also partly because condoms are primarily associated with preventative um, use for pregnancy and not STIs. Yeah. But technically, if you did use a condom while having oral sex, you could have prevented an STI, right? Yeah, because you like, I mean, it's still a form of transmission, but hmm. I don't think people tend to use, associate like condom use with preventing STIs as their primary hmm. use, you know? They're primarily associated with preventing pregnancy. Hmm. What do you think about people who mentally separate oral sex from like penetrative sex? Like, they're willing to maybe, like, I don't know, like, go down, but then when it comes to penetrative sex, they're like, uh... And these kind of people usually are quite concerned with concepts like virginity. Mm. Actually, I used to have very interesting thoughts on this because I think a lot of people hold um, a lot of value to their virginity, Mm -hmm. but it is very abstract. But at the same time, I feel like in the people who are, like, who hold that virginity with some value, right, there are two groups of people like they're two different sides and one of them is like the more traditionalist side where it's more spiritual like purity i want to keep it for my husband this is Mm a bond to be shared between a married couple and there's another side that are really much more concerned with the letter of the law where it's like i just need to not do this thing or then i will burn in eternal everlasting flames Mm. i can do everything around that but Jesus never say cannot suck cock, so like, <laughs> then I'm good. You know, I think we both know that the letter of the law kind of thinking is a little fallacious. Mm. And I <laughs> mean that... Fallacious. I mean that in every way possible. <laughs> yeah. Do you remember that ethics class we took together? Ooh, a lit. Where we ended up talking about 377A, the law in Singapore that criminalizes oh, yes. anal sex between men. And then we, we just spiraled into this Socratic Q&A, right? Uh, what was it? Gay anal sex, G-A-S. Okay? Okay? Then no. Then what about S-A-S? Straight anal sex. Like, why is that okay? Yeah. Yeah. And then, yeah. But then, then you go to gay oral sex. So G-O-S. That's okay, according to the law. <laughs> so, yeah. So it's, it's like, you know, you know, there are all these... Okay, at least when it comes to the law, these kinds of things can be very, very arbitrary. Yeah. And so I wouldn't be surprised when it comes to doctrine and dogma. These things can be very arbitrary as well. But then, right, talking about virginity, mm-hmm. I was having a conversation with a friend. Mm-hmm. And she was talking about how a couple friend of ours really likes to, loves to go on staycations. And, like, and she said something along the lines of, like, uh, I wonder what they do in a staycation like all day. And then I, I look at her and I was like, they're having sex lah. And she was like, what? Like, really? Oh my god. <laughs> yeah, really? And, and I told her, okay, dude, I, okay, I'm going to bet you $10 and a cup of bubble tea. I'm going to text the guy now and I, 
I will ask him a simple question like, do you and your girlfriend have sex during the staycations? And she, she was like, okay. And I texted the guy and I explained like what was going on. I just need to get like this uh, simple yes or no answer from him. And his mm. answer was no. Really? Whatever it is, he chose to answer no, right? So I, I mean... I mean, $10 poorer and one cup of bubble tea less later. I realized that, I don't know, like, am I too liberal? Or do people in their late 20s who are on the cusp of getting married still have apprehensions about talking about, like, you know, their sexual activity? I think yes. Mm. Because, well, here's the thing, though. I think that there's a lot of, like, open secrecy that's happening in Singapore. You know, it's kind of mm. like, it's understood. They don't speak about it because if you speak about it, then you you made known something that could have been swept under the rug. I, I have a friend who at the time was dating a guy and mm. she'd been seeing him for like three years and they've gone overseas together. So you yep. can make your own conclusions from there on. Mm. And she had won a vacation at like a real fancy place. I think like Ritz-Carlton or Capella or some really nice place. So she told her, her mother, she was like, I'm bringing my boyfriend. And mm. her mother like was like, but then you're... We'll be sleeping in the same bed. Ah. And my friend was like, you know, we've gone overseas together, right? And her mom had like a, had like a processing moment and then quickly changed the subject. So it was like epiphany. a... Epiphany. Yeah. I don't think that it was epiphany. I think she just didn't admit it to herself. She just mm. like plausible deniability, you know? And she just went with the plausible yeah. deniability all the way until like mm-hmm. she broke her own plausible deniability and then quickly backed away. So I think like a lot of parents, um, they have like this dissonance between like what they are familiar with and what their children do. And mm. they resolve that by just <laughs> plausible deniability the entire way. <laughs> yeah, I've heard of someone who isn't allowed to stay over at her boyfriend's place, but she's allowed to, with her parents' knowledge, uh, go on staycations with her boyfriend. <laughs> so, yeah, again, like, possible deniability. Maybe it's something about, you know, encroaching on the enemy territory. Whereas, um, you know, if you go to staycation, it's like a Switzerland. So, Maybe, like, uh, yeah, there's you know. a weird, like, stigma with being, like, song shaman, you know. Can you explain what that means? Like, song shaman, like, literally served through the door. Oh, so you know what I mean? Door, yeah. Like, mm. you, like it's too, it's perceived as too easy. Mm. Like, my mother gets sort of antsy when my brother's girlfriend stays over, but she doesn't okay. have the same compunctions when he stays over at hers. Which oh, is wow. very yeah, okay. strange. And mm. I've asked her about it before, and she's like, and she is like, it's because, you know, like, it's just not right for a girl to stay over at the guy's place. You know, like there's a, like a dissonance there and a lot of it like rooted in patriarchy and yeah. old forms of thinking. Mm-hmm. I would say outdated. But like a lot of that still exists, I think. And like when you bring up the story about your friend in the staycation, right? Actually reminds me of a conversation I had with my sister where... Mm. So my sister is that kind of person, you know? Very marriage, sanctity of marriage, I keep it for my husband only, that kind of thing. And she did. Okay. She, she only got married. She only like became active when she was married. So to her, okay. it was very much of a tradition and acceptable practice, that kind of thing. And at this point, my brother had gone on exchange with his girlfriend. 
he's been on staycation mm. with his girlfriend. He stays over, right? Mm. And I think we were having a conversation, and it oh, funny enough, it was actually about the HPV vaccine. Oh, okay. <laughs> Because I was asking, cool, cool. I think the my brother's girlfriend, if she had gotten it, and she said, "Oh mm. no, not yet." And at the time, I was like, "Oh, but you're supposed to get it before you're sexually active, so like then how?" But I didn't really understand the modicum of transmission. Right? Like you're supposed to get it before mm-hmm. you get exposed to the virus. Ergo, when you're sexually active, yeah. Therefore, if you haven't been exposed, even though you have been sexually active, because your partner hasn't been exposed, then you can still get the vaccine. Yeah. yeah um, still at the time I didn't know it. Yeah. 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 But at the time I didn't know it. I was just like, eh? then how? So I think I mentioned it to my sister, and she was like, on my hall, oh, uh, she can't get it anymore because you're supposed to get it before you're sexually active. My sister, with full honesty, was like. But there's a chance, what? And I was like, mm. not in God's way. There's any hell and chance she's not actually active. You know what I mean? I was like, absolutely not. This sounds like something you have like clarified at the table. I'm I'm not sure like how. No, no, no. This is separately. Is, this uh... is separately. Right then. Yeah, yeah, separately. Um, yeah, but yeah. So it was just a conversation between me and my sister, and mm. I was like, no, and she was like, no, but I think there's still a chance. And I was like, they've gone on exchange together. They've stayed in the same room for. Two months together, they've gone on staycations together. Do you really think that there is a snowflake chance in hell that they're not sleeping together? Mm. And she genuinely did. She said, "No, I think he wouldn't want to like disappoint our parents like that." And I was like, "Okay, parental disappointment versus like maximum flood of hormones from orgasm. Like, damn, so hard to pick, you know." I mean, what they don't know or what they don't want to know won't hurt them, right? Exactly. So I remember, like, I did this Telegram poll once. It's in this group that specializes in doing polls. So I I asked, like, like, are you sexually active? Ah, and my choices split the bondance between male female, mm-hmm. uh, and religious or not. Oh, interesting. Right, like, yeah, pre premarital sex. I think mm-hmm. I asked about premarital sex, and I don't have the data because I lost the screenshot already. But I think uh, maybe about like six hundred people replied total, and. Across uh, the women, there was no significant difference between people who identify as religious and people who identify as non-religious. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. But for men, there was uh, I I think there was something like seventeen percent more men who are non-religious say that they have engaged in premarital sex compared to the religious men. So can you repeat those numbers again. So. Okay, so to to sum up, no, 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 uh, the men one. I remember the the women one, but yeah, uh, it's about men. I think seventeen or twenty percent more non-religious men or people who identify as non-religious men, mm-hmm. yeah, say that they engage in premarital sex, have ah. done it before, yeah. So I was like, um, mm, okay, very interesting. It's actually quite interesting, but I think there's a lot of like societal stigma associated with female virginity specifically. No one ever talks about male virginity. No one cares. It's it's um, if anything, it's something that's considered a burden. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe like you know, men inherently have like less value as humans. If you think about apes in general, yes. you know they 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 go in a troop and then the female ape is the core of the group and then she has to have sex with as many males as she can. Yeah, Hello. and the males have to kind of, kind of compete with each other. So the males are disposable in this situation. Generally speaking, I think there's actually a Richard Dawkins book about this. I can't remember what it's called. Might be the Selfish yeah. Gene, which I read halfway, but I did I did not complete because it's a little bit dry. But it yeah, did it's talk a Richard about Richard Dawkins book. Yeah, 
Some of his books are not that bad, but Selfish Gene was really dry. Anyway, he does actually talk about how generally speaking, most species across all worlds, like when you do have a gender binary, like male-female, and yep. you define male-female in the sense of which one has like the, the sexual cell that is yeah. more um, in scarcity. Like key, like... In scarcity, no, in scarcity. Right, so your ovum, you only have five hundred versus the millions of sperm that you have, and then you can extrapolate that to basically across all animals, from birds to even like your invertebrates or your fish, that kind of thing. And generally speaking, because those cells, we're in, we're in greater scarcity, is because there is more resources dedicated to producing them. Those individuals, or those like in the male-female binary of like sexual selection, those females have more vested interest in picking good mates because you need to make sure that your resources are going to finding a mate that will give your children the best chance of success. Yeah, so it's not necessarily that males are not so much wanted. It's that, I mean, you just look at it in the terms of pregnancy. Mm. You went bam, thank you, ma'am, and then you like, peace out. But the woman has to go through like the nine months of like carrying the baby and then the labor. And then generally speaking, born society, but caretaking tends to fall on the woman itself. So there's a lot of burden associated with childbirth and childbearing. Yeah, we talked about earlier just now. Yeah. The burden on falling on the woman. Disproportionately exactly. more on the woman. So yeah. they mean that to some sense that's why like male virginity is not prized because it's not associated mm. with that, you know, resource depletion and sacrifice. Yeah, so like there there is no kind of payoff when the man loses the virginity. Yeah. Yeah, and if anything, it's like, it's kind of, at least in our modern society, it's kind of used as a pejorative mm, mm. or a mockery, you know, to call like, to call a girl virgins, like, okay, like whatever, call a guy a virgin. There's a lot of like societal implications of lack of sexual success, that lack of ability to communicate with men, lack of ability to hold, have a relationship or like ability to present yourself in a way that is considered conventionally attractive to the females in his population. Yeah, I actually asked this question to a friend once. I was like, mm-hmm. how come it's considered sexy for a woman to own a sex toy, right? But it's gross for a man to own a sex toy. That's an interesting consideration. Right? Like, because yeah. somebody I know who may have the name, same name and surname as me bought a sex toy once. Okay. And like everyone found it hilarious, and I too found it hilarious, but I didn't re- didn't know why I found it hilarious. But I don't think if a female like went around telling like her friends say, "Hey, I bought a vibrator," you know, like it would gather laughs. They would probably be like, "Oh, it's, it's so nice! Like, what brand is it?" You know, that, that sort of thing. Actually, in my mind, that that's how it plays out, lah. But like, tell me more. I do have a sort of an analogous situation actually, mm. because. This was like in the back in the uni days and it was like some kind of Shelley situation. And like, I think the question that was asked was like, do you masturbate? Mm-hmm. So like, it all like it was a, I have never in a new drink if you've masturbated. Nah. So obviously every guy drank and I drank and another girl drank, mm-hmm. but a lot of girls didn't. Yeah, I've always built myself as being very scrupulously honest and transparent about all things in my life. Right. So even prior to me being sexually active, I've, I've been very open about talking about it. I don't think it's something that necessarily needs to be treated as taboo. But yes. by the reactions of many of the girls there, actually I should say women, women there, 
because we're all adults at that point. They did mm. see it as taboo. And some of them either didn't want to admit it or genuinely had never mm. experimented, which baffled me. And I also wonder, is there a stigma associated with admitting that you masturbate? Because for a guy, admitting that you masturbate is it's kind of like a given, you know, grass is green, mm. sky is blue, guys yeah. like jerk off at night. Yeah. But there seemed to be some sort of associated stigma for a woman to admit the same. As though female sexuality in of itself is taboo. Yeah. At the same time, men are also assumed to be... Inherently sexual creatures. Inherently sexual, right? Yeah. yeah so I, I'm thinking about the people I've met in my past who are probably forced to, or rather, nobody believed them when they said uh, no to that question, right? Mm-hmm. And everyone is like, yeah, come on, lie. like everyone say yes, you can say yes. But then I look at them like, maybe they haven't. Like, yeah. Right? Maybe they haven't, right? And then they have to be boxed into this category with like everyone else. Even though they, they could have been telling the truth. Yeah. 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 I just think there, there's a lot of stigma and taboo associated with sex in Singapore. And the differences of, like across like the way it applies to males and females or men and women yeah. are the different sides of the same coin because it all centers around like something that is taboo and shouldn't be spoken about in polite society, you know? With a very patriarchal lens. Definitely. Yeah. Because it's like if you are a sexual woman, even if you are not, because like for a very long time in my life I wasn't. Um, mm-hmm. But I present like one Because mm-hmm. like I'm not particularly shy I, I've always been Rather vain I, I present myself As a very confident Woman but, And for a lot of people That came with an mm-hmm. assumption That I was easy mm-hmm. So for like yeah. A long time on dating apps I didn't see any success On dating apps Because The way that I present myself Comes with a certain stereotype Of the people think That they think that I am And mm. That easiness also comes, it's like sort of like a, in of itself, a taboo. It's like a guy that's like, yeah, yeah I'll f- you and don't bring you home to meet my parents. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. like, there seems to be this weird societal associations that you have to be a certain type of person if you look a certain way. Yeah, I think you're right. With my experience on, on dating apps, like I have felt those thoughts that you described, mm-hmm. like, like flown to my head. And then, but then like, I take a step back because I realized that, you know, the way you present yourself and what you actually do in your daily life, these are two completely separate variables. uh. And the evidence is that people who maybe they don't necessarily pay attention to their looks or they just, uh, I don't know, they just have like, they talk about that, like their regular hobbies and things like that. Some of these people are like extremely sexually active and they probably have like, the craziest BDSM chart alignments of words you don't even know, right? Mm-hmm. But it's not a core part of their identity. And I mean, unfortunately, when it comes to dating apps, sex is a part of the bundle. Yeah. And, and so, is, so people, yeah, and people end up thinking too much about it. I mean, personally, I feel like I didn't see success on dating apps because I always made it very clear that I wasn't there for sex. And mm-hmm. even if I did, meet someone they would always be very taken aback that it was not on the table yeah because that, that's just your preference right and yeah but I'm, are, I'm not always... i'm not i'm very very transparent about it i always had it up yeah. front and center in my um in my bios 
first mm-hmm. off, that kind of thing. So, and yet there'll be guys who still try to convince me. They think their penis magic or something. Like, oh, what a shame. I'm like, not for me. I'm good. I mean, they probably thought that it was negotiable. They, they don't really have an idea of like what people really mean when they say certain things. Yeah. I mean, because you're a very honest person and many people are not honest. Yes, I think so. Like, exactly what you mentioned in the sense that I think there are a lot of women who were put that they are not yep. up for hookups on their bio, but actually are, mm. but need to present it because it needs to be like an open secret. They need to present exactly, like exactly, exactly. So I wanted to bring that up. Yeah, yeah, like legitimately, I think it's like on the guy side because they've encountered that before. They think I'm one of them. They think like yes is yes and no means maybe. Yeah, <laughs> for me, like no is a no, man. Is <laughs> a no for me, though, you know. Just to share my experience, this is not a flex or anything, but I'm always most likely to have sex with women who I can just vibe and talk to, right? Mm-hmm. And have a good conversation with. And, and their, all their profiles uh, had nothing in common. I spoke to girls who like who look nerdy and they, they're very nondescript on the profile. I spoke to uh, girls who they seem, very, they seem really, really active and like, you know, go to the gym, wear very revealing clothing. If we are only talking about outcomes, then there's really no like you know underlying factor lah. But I would say that at least for these girls, right, they didn't like you said, um, indicate upfront that that was what they were looking for. Hmm. Interesting. Did they indicate upfront it was not what they were looking for? No, they they did not. I see. Which which is understandable, right? Because sometimes I don't know. It comes full circle because if you indicate that right then maybe they think oh shoot what if I accidentally like, scare off a man that I might feel that is very hot or you know very eligible or something like that just yeah, because I said it that's Wh- fair. whether you actually want to have sex or not like it's a completely different issue yeah yeah I think that's fair because I mean unfortunately or fortunately it is what it is sex mm. is very much part of the dating life in 2021 yeah so I can understand for those women if it was a possibility but they were not as they say giving it away for free then mm. they benefit from keeping the ambiguity there but for me it was a hard and fast rule I wasn't going to sleep with them because at the time I was still a virgin so yeah. I had not that I had any compunctions about losing it per se I just had like a lot of thoughts about losing it versus like losing it casually versus losing it in a relationship yeah, I, I mean, it, it makes more sense to be sexually active like within the, the confines of a relationship because, again, you know, for many reasons, I think, like, mental reasons and mm. also health reasons, right? The, uh, the risk of catching STIs. I would STIs. say at the time, health wasn't really my main concern. Mm. I think that, generally speaking, while society has opened up a bit more to premarital sex, it hasn't opened up to casual sex. So... It's still mm, very right. much associated with being in the confines of a monogamous relationship. So yep. I just didn't want to deal with the baggage of like losing it outside of a relationship. Because if you've never been in a relationship, but you're not a virgin, then there's like an automatic question mark there. And then assumptions that come with that. And mm. I just I didn't s- really mm. care to dip my toe into that cesspool. But in that vein, right, I saw quite an interesting post on Reddit which I've managed to dig out and I'll send 
review. It's on not the R Singapore, but R Singapore Raw, which is I think an offshoot subreddit. Singapore Raw, okay. Yeah. Let me take a look. I've only yeah, given the, con- the context of the situation. Don't do it wrong. Always use a condom. Ah, okay. I love it. I know. And quite a decent sample size too. 440 Singaporeans. 4,000, 4,000. Yeah, yeah. but 4,000, sorry. 440. <laughs> I didn't do well on maths. It's clear. <laughs> so what I thought was quite interesting was if you zoom in on the age group 18 to 20, yep. especially the first table, the table in red, Look at the percentage of people who say that they are evergreen and virgins. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah. Okay. That is interesting, a, interesting. a very high disparity, which I think is an indicator that at least in the younger generation in Gen Z, mm-hmm. sexuality and sex has become like very commonplace. And I think you can tell that now. You know that kids are getting sexually active a lot earlier than they used to back in our day. Oh my God, back in our day. As yeah. a stroke my beard. You can tell Yeah, we're, we're aged uh, at this point We're approaching 30 No, you're almost 30 uh, Yeah, I'm coming 30 soon Okay, so for the listeners uh, I'm going to put this in the show notes But okay, according to this survey Only 5.6% of people aged 18 to 20 Claim that they are virgins Yeah, but if you look at the people Who are aged 21 to 25 the percentage shoots up to 33.3%, which I think is way closer to what we would imagine the actual number to be. Mm-hmm. But it's a huge drop. Um, when was this survey taken, man? Uh, I think there's more data at the bottom. Answers, yeah, yeah. For, for the listeners, answers.sg forward slash love hyphen survey forward slash. Right, yeah. Wow, you should be a voiceover artist. Like, I've heard that before. <laughs> Like, they're, they're freelance voiceover artists, you know. They can, I think you can get paid side gig. I don't know. Or Fiverr stuff like that. Uh. Next time, next time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I found wow. I found that statistic honestly quite startling, because mm-hmm. I think like if you look at the other age groups, right? I mean, this this survey only really goes up to let's say age forty, but in nearly every other age group except for the one thirty six to forty. The yep. percentage of virgins is higher than those who, percentage of those who have never been in a relationship. Yeah, this is incorrectly normally distributed. It's not supposed to be a normally distributed <laughs> population. Yeah, which which is very unusual, right? And and the disparity between the percentage, especially that eighteen to twenty, thirty percent, around thirty percent have never been in a relationship, but only five percent are virgins. So. Mm. Compared to the other age groups and how they, the, the data applies to that age group, like you have to assume some sort of paradigm shift in the way that sexuality is perceived in that generation. Yes, but th- I think there's also um, a factor of their actual age and like their life experiences because... If you look at the oldest age group, right? Mm-hmm. It's the 36 to 40. It's the only other age group where the virginity percentage is so low and the yeah. never be in the relationship percentage is actually higher than the agree, virginity agree. percentage. So um, yeah, there are a couple of layers here, but I think that what you're saying is definitely correct and probably need like more in-depth studies or less self-reported data. I don't even know how you get non-self-reported data, but... <laughs> Very hard, especially with associated 
taboos. I mean, obviously, we don't know the methodology or the sample size or, you know, mm-hmm. the any sampling errors that are associated with this particular survey. But just looking at the numbers themselves, it is disparate enough to warrant some questioning. Mm-hmm. Okay, to be fair, the, the sample size for 18 to 20 is uh, much lower than the rest, but... Yeah, and I also think that's probably because, like, cannot ask people underneath 18 now. Oh, they would decline, right? they're not supposed, they're not supposed to be active. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. <laughs> you're not legally supposed to be active. No, that... Is it not? Oh, 16. Anything above 16, 16 is, 16. like, 16. fair game, according to the law. According to the okay. law. Wow, yeah. now you, like, sound like those guys who's like, but it's legal there. Yeah, oh, that, like... I never hit on her. <laughs> Reminds me of uh, I didn't watch it, the movie. It was legal what? Yeah, one of the Transformers movies. There's a guy who pulls up. I think like one of the state laws in Texas with regard to like, underage sex, and just to tell the like the main character is like, what I'm doing with your daughter is totally legal, as if that's going to oh, change his impression of the dude lah. But yeah, again. I mean, something legal being some versus something being ethical is different, right? a 29-year-old dating a 16-year-old, it's legal. You know, it's legal for them to have sex. But is it what you would call morally ethical? I think not. (laughs) Yeah, I I, I don't know. Like, when I was using the dating apps, right, I thought about, like, what age range to, you know, set set it at. Mm -hmm. At the start, I was thinking to myself, you know, just don't put an age range, huh? you know, just be open and meet anyone you can. But then, like, when I look at some of the the girls there who are, like, maybe 21, 22, I'm like, oh my goodness, this is, like, I feel like, uh, like, I'm snatching these people out of the cradle. Cannot, cannot, no, cannot. <laughs> like, I think, okay, la, we're in our mid-20s, even though we're only a few years apart, the difference in life stage is a lot more hmm. apparent. Like, I can't date a Xiao Titi that's, like, 21 years old now. But I can't date, like, a 29-year-old with a Xiao Titi mindset of a 21-year-old either, right? Because I need someone who, who's, like, yeah, gross. Yeah. I'm not going to marry you to be your mother. If you're going to find another mother, you can stay with the one that, that popped you out. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah, like, you need someone at the same life stage as you. Mm. So, like, like, the 29-year-old dating a 16-year-old, right? That's a 13-year age gap. I don't think a lot of people will blink if it was a 40-year-old dating a 53-year-old. Yep. Because by yep. then, you're generally in the same life stage. But 13 years of experience is a wealth of difference for a 29 versus a 16-year-old. Mm-hmm. That's why like, I had friends who were dating older guys with inverted commas when we were like younger. And I've heard stories as well. And at the time, you're like, wow, it's like so cool. Her boyfriend drives to school, picks her up, you know got money to spend on her but with the benefit of hindsight you look back and you're like oh that's grooming yeah oh my god right? it makes that, sense yeah it, it just doesn't sit right when you look at it from the perspective of an older person because when you're 29 you don't want to date a 16 year old unless that power asymmetry and power dynamic benefits you yeah which re- it really does right it, in that situation it, I mean, yeah, you, yeah that's why when you're younger you don't know better. But as a 16-year-old, if there are any 16-year-olds listening in the situation, mm. like think why 29-year-old women don't want to date him. <laughs> yeah, that's really good food for thought, right? 